Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Very glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Jim Garrity is off today. We are very happy, though, that John Gabriel, editor-in-chief at Ricochet, and still the reigning undisputed king of stuff, uh, is with us today in Jim's stead. Uh, John, I don't know what the succession plan is uh, for you. Is it like the Queen in England and so forth? But uh, uh, so far, there's no claim to the to the throne, correct? No. Every once in a while, people attempt to dispute it, but I have to remind them, no, it is undisputed. So that solves that up. Oh, and I'm contractually obligated, um, filling in for Jim to say, quote, go Jets, unquote. All right, there. <laughs> It's the passion and enthusiasm with which he said that that I think really resonates <laughs> with him and our listeners. But uh, anyway, uh, definitely check out the King of Stuff podcast on Ricochet. It's uh, fantastic stuff. Great interviews, great conversations. As we're going to have today with our three martinis, we've got a good one with definitely a bad context and then just bad all the way around and then flat out crazy. So, uh, John, let's start with Dr. Oz being in the good martini. We've been pretty rough on Dr. Oz. We called him out for not really being a conservative, not really living in Pennsylvania, not being a strong candidate. But uh, things are getting tighter in Pennsylvania, and it's for a couple of reasons. Number one, John Fetterman is struggling physically. Number two, the Republicans are doing a really good job of exposing what John Fetterman thought about a lot of things before he had his stroke, especially on crime. And that has led to a major endorsement uh, among police officials for Dr. Oz. And yesterday, at his press conference accepting that uh, uh, endorsement, he really laid it to John Fetterman in a way that seems like Dr. Oz is kind of hitting his stride here. Take a listen. Now, my opponent in this race has taken a very firm stance on these issues, and he's done it for many years. There's a reason he's called the most pro-murderer candidate running for office. He seems to care more about the criminals than the innocent, as Maureen Faulkner was alluding to. He has explicitly stated that we can get one third of prisoners out of jail and it wouldn't make a difference. He wants to get as many out as he can, I'm quoting him. He's argued dozens of times at the parole board to release criminals. Oftentimes these are convicted murderers serving lifetime sentences, which he believes also we shouldn't have. And some of these cases are quite harsh. I'm recalling one of a man who murdered his girlfriend's mother with scissors. Went the jail because the jury convicted him, a jury of our peers convicted him. The judge sentenced him to life in prison. And yet while in jail, this man learned horticulture and started doing yoga. And John Fetterman said it didn't square with him that this man would actually have been guilty and he wanted him released. He was the only member of the parole board, only member of the parole board who felt he should be released. He's clearly way outside the norms of the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, of the people of Pennsylvania. So, John, everything that he said there, the Republican Party has Fetterman on tape saying he's not making up anything that he says right there. And he tells it in a compelling way. So, uh, you know, this race was thought to be a lost cause. The, the Democrats were going to pick up a seat. Pretty much every poll has it now within the margin of error. And if Oz can keep articulating a message like this while Fetterman flounders, you never know what could happen in Pennsylvania. Absolutely. And um, this has been a race that has just uh, driven conservatives around the country a little bit crazy because um you just really have to hold up a mirror to fetterman to um show what's going on in this race what the stakes are 
Um, he, of course, has had the serious health issues. We wish him the best with this. But ever since, he's been in semi-hiding. But this crime issue is a huge one um, in Philadelphia, in Pittsburgh, and everywhere in between those two cities. Uh, to see Oz out there just providing a calm, competent, compelling case, um, boy, you, you just wonder why he hasn't been doing this forever. This is a huge opening for the Republicans nationally and certainly in the state of Pennsylvania. No, I think you're right about that. I guess it took him a little while to get his political sea legs out there, and, and, and we'll see how he can do over the last few weeks of this campaign. Fetterman has agreed to one debate uh, shortly before Election Day, which has more than a few people on the right upset because early voting will have started long before that. And you mentioned the crime problem, not just in Fetterman's ideology, but also in Pennsylvania. Uh, Larry Krasner is the prosecutor in Philadelphia. He's one of these radicals on the left where their entire M.O. seems to be to go soft on criminals here. And so he was on an, an interview on TV being criticized about this. And listen to his response here as the interviewer is just absolutely incredulous that Krasner thinks his approach to his office is working. We all have to work together, and the reality is that we have been more and effective. And you are a reformed district attorney. Everybody, everybody in the country knows that. But maybe it's not working. It is working. The reality is that There's our a thousand people killed in 20 months. The, it is working. The reality is when you look at all these different jurisdictions, we've had a devastating blow from the pandemic. And there is absolutely no correlation between being progressive or traditional and the rate of crime. I strongly disagree that there's uh, no correlation there whatsoever. The plan is working. I'm not sure what that means the plan is, John, but uh, you got to love the fact that he's blaming a stratospheric murder rate on COVID. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Everything is the fault of COVID or when you are dealing with Joe Biden, it's, it's Putin. So I don't know, maybe this is Putin's crime wave going on in Pennsylvania right now. But it's obvious these reform prosecutors, um, if you can even call them prosecutors, since they don't really want to prosecute anyone, um, they are hurting communities around the country. I know even here in Arizona, the, the county attorney or the county covering Phoenix and vicinity, which is about 60% of the entire population of the state in this big old county. Um, yes, another reform uh, county attorney candidate is running. You have George Gastone in LA. Uh, these people are just really wreaking havoc in our communities. And I'm glad to see a case where you actually have the media holding these people's feet to the fire because this isn't just uh, numbers on a graph. This is human lives that are being damaged, that are being harmed, that are being taken away. Um, yeah, I think he revealed the truth that his policies are working. It's just not a result that uh, the American people are that interested in. If the goal and the plan is to have fewer violent criminals behind bars, then I guess it is working because I don't know if he's I assume he's one of these champions of no cash bail or low cash bail that we've seen in New York. And now Illinois is going uh, for statewide and other jurisdictions in deep blue areas, too. I mean, if that's the goal, I guess on paper, it's a success. But like you said, it's it's costing many, many lives. It's, uh, you know, being very, very harmful towards uh, the life and the vibrancy of these cities as well. So if people can't wake up to this in this midterm election and beyond, it's hard to understand what they could wake up to. Absolutely. Yeah, I have to agree completely. And yeah, this has been um, rising crime has been a news story going on in Pennsylvania for quite a while. So 
why it took us longer for the state GOP to focus on this stuff is beyond me, but keep up this message and uh, people could be surprised uh, when the election actually happens. Absolutely right. So we'll keep watching. It's getting a lot tighter than a lot of us suspected that it would. All right, on to our next bad martini now, John, and that's the economy. Despite all of the contortion efforts of the Biden administration and their dutiful allies in the media when the original uh, GDP numbers for the second quarter came out, I think it was back at the end of July, we're in a recession. Uh, they can spin it however they want. Eh, it's uh, you know different definitions of recession, but uh, still a decline of 0.6% in the second quarter. And that's not the only problem. Current dollar personal income increased $305 billion in the second quarter, a downward revision in change of $47.4 billion from the previous estimate. Disposable personal income increased 5.7%, or a little more than $253 billion, but that's a downward revision of 0.8% from the previous estimate. Personal saving was $629 billion in the second quarter, a downward revision of $78 billion. From the previous estimate, the personal saving rate, uh, personal saving as a percentage of disposable personal income, was 3.4% in the second quarter, a downward revision in change of 0.4%. So the economy is not doing well. The job market for now is doing okay, although some folks think that's about to tank as well. But here's Larry Summers. I think this was just yesterday. Former Clinton Treasury Secretary who was begging Biden not to do the COVID stimulus, uh, quote-unquote, back in the early part of 2021. And he says you can uh, trace this huge jump in inflation right back to that. And he says it's unfortunate because for four decades, you know, we had it under control. We basically had inflation under control for 40 years, despite the fact that the price of oil fluctuated, despite the fact that there were all kinds of uh, supply shocks. Um, we lost the thread, uh, along with many other countries, um, about a year and a half ago with massively expansionary policies relative to the size of the GDP gap. The fiscal stimulus was five times as large as it had been during the financial crisis. So while Biden and uh, Ron Klain on Twitter and uh, other folks in the administration, uh, you know, ask who are you going to believe, uh, us or your lying eyes, uh, John, this is just more evidence that this administration has gone in the wrong direction on the economy. And the more they pretend it's not uh, a problem, I think the worse it's going to be for them. But uh, I'd rather our good fortune not happen with uh, millions of people suffering. Absolutely. And um, despite how much um, Republicans pay for ads in various states and races, um, the biggest advertising against the Democrats at any level and in any capacity is your weekly trip to the grocery store. <laughs> you, you just cannot deny it. Um, I know my wife and I are going to a different grocery store further away because we notice we save a couple bucks if we do it. Um, everybody is tightening the belt, and anytime you need to pick up anything at the store, you're like, what the heck is going on in this country? It's always been bizarre to me, like when they were um, in D.C., kind of wondering how many angels dance on the head of the pin, but this time um, with regard to a recession. How do you define it exactly? Because technically, this really isn't, look, we experience this every day, and it's only getting worse, and it's weird for them 
month after month to pretend that everything's going great when 30 days later you find out it's even worse than you thought it was. So, um, yeah, it's just been bizarre watching uh, this foolishness, uh, both by the media and by the Democrats, especially by Joe Biden saying, oh, inflation isn't a problem. He said on 60 Minutes, just up an inch last month. Um, yeah, this 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 matters so much to the American people on every level. We all notice it. And for them to keep saying, as you said, don't believe your lying eyes. It's just not wearing well, and uh, they should be taking this far more seriously. Instead, they're just kind of shrugging and almost laughing at the American people for having to put up with this. Um, Republicans really just need to hammer this nonstop, uh, bring some kind of sanity to Washington, D.C., and at least get them focused on the issue. I certainly don't have a great deal of competence in uh, Biden fixing it but at least focusing on it, uh, getting serious about this stuff so we can uh, get back into a situation where we're actually growing month after month instead of uh, watching our savings vanish. They passed the Inflation Reduction Act, though, John, so I assume... Oh, that's right. That was fixed. I forgot about that. (laughs) Well, let's have uh, James Taylor on here uh, for tomorrow's episode to uh, celebrate... Nothing uh, Nothing that young Democrat, uh, demographic of voters love more than some James Taylor. <laughs> that was amazing. That was amazing. I can't remember what song he sang the other day, but it's still the second most cringeworthy James Taylor moment. The You've got a friend to Paris after the terrorist attack was just with John Kerry Oof. overlooking him like, a, like an adoring father. It's just... <laughs> Just the most uh, cringeworthy. Oh, man. And yeah, if you want, if your message is happy days are here again, let's avoid the 1970s. Okay. That (laughs) that was not, uh, that wasn't a great time for the American economy. Whip inflation now. We need the wind buttons back. (laughs) Right. Right. I'm sure the Ford library's got a few of those laying around. Maybe we can dust dust those off, I guess. But yeah, the, uh, the response of, why can't you just see how awesome we are? As everything's burning around us is uh, not a good not a good strategy. All right, on to our crazy martini now, John, and uh, it's a follow up to yesterday's crazy martini. I'm guessing most people are aware of the situation yesterday, where Biden was at an event about uh, trying to combat hunger, and he was given a shout out to congressional figures who had been leaders on uh, this particular issue. Uh, he mentioned uh, Senator Braun of Indiana. He mentioned Senator Booker. Uh, I believe it was Congressman McGovern of Massachusetts. And then he also mentioned uh, Indiana Congressman Jackie Walorski. And here's how that went. And I want to thank all of you here, for in- including bipartisan elected officials like Representative Governor, Senator Braun, Senator Booker, Representative Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? I didn't think she was, she was going to be here. No, Jackie wasn't there because Jackie was killed, unfortunately, in a traffic collision along with a couple of her staffers in early August. Biden even put out a statement on that. And as we said yesterday, probably didn't have a lot of involvement with the actual statement, but he should be aware that she's no longer with us. And so not an easy cleanup job for Corinne Jean-Pierre, and she's not exactly uh, an elite level uh cleanup artist anyway. But here was her argument yesterday, uh, John, the phrase over and over again, she was top of mind. That's why he asked if she was there, because she was top of mind. And so someone asked her, yeah, no, if she's top of mind, shouldn't you realize she's probably not going to be there? But I think the confusing part is why, if she and the family is top of mind, does the president think that she's living and in the room? I don't find that confusing. I mean, I think many people can speak to sometimes when you have someone top of mind, 
they are top of mind, exactly that. Uh, and it is also, if you put it into the context, it's not like it happened without outside of context, right? It happened at an event uh, where we were um, uh, we were calling out the champions, uh, congressional champions in particular of this uh, issue. Well, there you go, John. Top of mind and context. Just keep saying that over and over, and apparently we're all supposed to just nod and and go away. So, I mean, there wasn't a good way to spin this, but uh, that was really bad. Boy, um, I do not envy the job that the White House press secretary uh, needs to show up for every day at all, but wow, is she bad at this. Uh, Yeah, being top of mind doesn't explain what's going on here. Um, Kind of like... um, pretending not to understand how to define recession or inflation for that matter. Um, Joe Biden, I'm going to make a controversial statement here, a little breaking news. Joe Biden is not really as lively as he used to be. Uh, People notice this and to again deny this fact is just ludicrous. He's obviously our oldest president, but uh, I'm sure you have. I've known some 80-year-olds who are more spry and sharp mentally than I was at 40. So it's not just an age thing, it's a competence thing. Um, And watching this every time, I know sometimes my daughter will show me a video of Biden's latest, and uh, she's not exactly a rock-ribbed conservative. She's just like, Dad, this is so sad. Why are they making him go through this? And I, I think most of the American people, when we see these things, saying, why are they making him go through this? Why are they making our country go through this? These are very, very serious times. And to keep bringing him out there, pretending that he's just old Joe from Scranton, sharp as ever, um, is really ludicrous. And people since, I don't know, a couple months months into his administration were just like, okay, who is actually running things? I'm beginning to think of this not so much as the Biden presidency, but the Biden regency. You know, back in the old medieval days when you'd have a king who would uh, be off um, physically or mentally, you just have his advisors take over, run things day to day. He would remain the king in name only um, or the reverse. They would, I don't know, push an eight-year-old prince to the throne. And then uh, the advisors were like, oh, this is great. We can do what we want to do. Um, that seems to be what's happening here. And it's really depressing watching this. Um, you know, we all have people in our family and extended family getting up there in years. Um, you just want to say to Joe, um, just enjoy the lake house for a few years and, you know, relax. Why is he being trotted out um, again and again to these situations where it just frankly looks sad? Um, we know that uh, he's lost a few miles off the fastball, as uh, people say, but um, to subject the country to this in such serious times is really a dereliction of duty. Yeah, in terms of uh, who's calling the shots or heavily influencing the shots, I mean, the uh, there's idea a lot of Jim calls him Prime Minister Ron Klain, the chief of staff. Right, uh, exactly. I, I think Susan Rice being the domestic policy advisor uh, means that uh, President Obama certainly got uh, quite a bit of influence about what's going on. They were very, very tight. Uh, and one of the reasons he's still there, John, is because our backup quarterback just got done talking about our robust friendship with North Korea. And every time Oof. she opens her mouth, <laughs> she's not she's not forgetting whether people are alive or not. But it's it's a word salad that would uh, make the writers of Veep just throw up their hands saying we can't do any better than this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there is uh, no Calvary waiting in the wings to save, save the day exactly in this administration. And even beyond uh, Prime Minister Klain, 
Susan Rice. You just have these old hands who have been uh, involved in uh, backstabbing and um, insider intrigue since the Clinton administration. John Podesta was recently brought in, Anita Dunn. Uh, we have Gene Sperling up there. It's all these people who have never sought credit or the public limelight. They just wanted power, and uh, they are all over the White House right now kind of fighting each other and uh, over what Biden's legacy should be. Um, folks, just level with the American people. We, we can all see what's going on, and the longer this um, continues, the worse it'll be. Credit to the reporters who are actually asking about that. It's not just uh, poor Ducey from Fox News, the only person in the room giving a reality check to what's going on. So <laughs> other reporters are just like, okay, um, yeah, we'll cover you here and there, but this is getting kind of difficult. <laughs> you are uh, stretching our role as uh, reporters here to pretend this is serious. And you did see um, the press coverage from the AP to NPR, you know, you name it. They were saying, yeah, this is really bad. This is very concerning. And uh, the American people are definitely noticing. Democrats might want to start uh, concentrating on that and not uh, whatever uh, silly semi-fascist ultra mega, I don't know, <laughs> fill in the uh, scary descriptor after that, um, that is going to uprise and take over the country. Um, how about focus on basic competence? You guys were elected close to two years ago. Uh, start doing your jobs. We would really appreciate it. Yeah, I also think, I mean, first of all, they, they do have a couple of scraps of credibility, or at least they think they do, that they're trying to protect, so they have to talk about it. It was so glaringly obvious yesterday. I also think you're starting to get more and more attention to this because once the midterms are over, and assuming Biden's numbers don't improve quite drastically, fairly quickly, I think a lot of folks on the left and some of their allies in the media are going to be looking for alternatives to the incumbent in 2024. And so to build the case that he needs to not have another term um, has to start somewhere. And I think maybe we're starting to see that. Yeah, definitely. Even uh, our friend Beto in Texas has really turned. He's looking at his polls going down each week. And uh, he just went out both barrels blaming all of his problems on Joe Biden. Now that's also a stretch. He has, he brings his own issues, let's say. But um, I, I don't think after the midterms, Democrats are going to be playing along with the fiction that uh, Ms. Jean-Pierre is uh, spreading. No, I mean, Biden's not helping Beto, but Beto brings a whole pack of problems. <laughs> a whole lot own. of Beto-ness. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, man. John, always fun. Thanks for filling in for Jim today, and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to do it again soon. Sounds fantastic. Thanks so much. John oh, Gates. also go Jets. <laughs> better. That, that was better, more enthusiasm that time. <laughs> John Gabriel is the editor-in-chief at ricochet.com. He is also the undisputed king of stuff. So check out the King of Stuff podcast. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. Tell a friend about us as well. Thank you also for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Find us all on Twitter. He's at XJohn, E-X-J-O-N. Jim, of course, is at Jim Garrity. And I am at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday and tune in again on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. 
Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn joins me to discuss the explosion of violent crime in Memphis and many other U.S. cities and what she says she is doing about it. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, I'll also explain how a Biden crony is getting rich off our open border policies and the Justice Department is studying white supremacy in video games. Don't miss it. Follow the Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.